Aloha and welcome to the New Hope Oahu podcast. If you would like to watch this sermon, testimonies, creative elements, and more, go to youtube.com slash newhopeoahu. You can watch sermons in our app or check out our website at enewhope.org. So good. So, uh, many of them, this was their first time ever dancing, and uh, Myra and the team just brought that, brought, brought that all together. And I love that a church is always pushing us outside of our comfort zone to bring God our very best. And really, that kind of sums up the Great Commission, doesn't it? We've been studying the Great Commission over the past uh, couple of weeks, and, and really it kind of pushes us outside of our comfort zone. I just love this time of year. Uh, Easter, and I can't think of a better way to kick off Holy Week next week than with water baptism. As as you guys heard, we are having it right out here under the Ohana tent uh, after the 11 o'clock service. And, you know, it's interesting people's take on water baptism. Some uh, people that don't understand it, you know, just kind of look at it, like, you know, it's such a cute little thing, you know, these people getting wet in the water and oh, that's fun. Some people kind of consider water baptism like an optional thing. And yet, the interesting thing is, if you look at the Great Commission, it's pretty central to what Jesus charged his disciples, disciples with in terms of changing the world. It's, it kind of finds a prominent place. It, it, take a look at it with me at the top of your notes and, or on your app or up here on the screen. In Matthew uh, chapter 28, would you guys read this with me this morning? Ready? Go. Then Jesus came to them and said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a picture guy. You can tell me words that I may or may not remember it, but you give me a picture, I'll remember that. Pictures are worth a thousand words anyways. And I love how Jesus gives us a picture that kind of sums up everything he's asked us to do in the Great Commission. Let me give you an example. Look at this picture of one of our recent water baptisms under the Ohana tent. This is the Great Commission being lived out. It's people in the community of faith being baptized in the community of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, called to go out to the community of the world to accomplish the Great Commission. Co, with. There was witness all over that picture. In fact, if we want to be a witness, we must be witnesses. We must do it with each other in the community of one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the community of faith, reaching out to the community around us. So in fact, we, we just can't even accomplish it on our own. And some people would say, well, John, Jesus doesn't say you have to be baptized in water, right? Some have been sprinkled when they were younger in different traditions. And yet, if you actually look at the word baptism, that is a transliteration of the original Greek word baptizo, which means full immersion. You can't get immersed in sprinkled water. You have to actually go under. And why do you think that's important? Well, of course, it's because of what baptism represents. Going under the water, dying to our sin, dying to ourselves, coming out of the water, resurrected to Jesus Christ. And Jesus not only uh, drives that home in his great commission, he illustrates that 
gives us a pattern for that in his own life. Jesus himself got water baptized, fully immersed in the Jordan River. Now, why do you think he did that? Jesus wasn't a sinner. Why do you think he did that? Well, John chapter 13, verse 15, Jesus tells us, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So he is saying, my life is a pattern for you. If you're wondering how to live your life like Jesus, just follow my steps. Not only what it is that he does, but also what it is that he receives at water baptism is yours and mine. Now, maybe some of us have been Christians for a long time. You're like, I already know about this baptism stuff. I've already been baptized a long time ago. Well, let me just invite you to just maybe look at it through fresh eyes. Return to water baptism with me. Maybe God will remind you of something you forgot. Maybe you'll see something you never saw before. But if it's so central to us accomplishing the Great Commission, I think it's worth spending a little bit of time here to unpack its importance. So let's look at Jesus' water baptism. It's also in your notes in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, Whoa, um, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? It's, it's a sound argument. John had just before this seen Jesus walking up and said, Behold the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. It doesn't make sense in his mind why he would baptize somebody who's come to take our sins when the only reason you get baptized is if, if you have sins, right? And it's an, a sound argument. But look at Jesus' response. Verse 15, Jesus replied, uh, let it be so now. In other words, hey, we're going to do this. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. I'm hoping the same can be said of us. Then you and I consented. Jesus said it. We did it, whether we understood it or not. We'll be talking more next week about the core reality of how discipleship requires obedience. But Right now, what Jesus is telling John and what he's telling you and I is to fulfill all righteousness. I'm not only fulfilling the scriptures and prophecies that have uh, in the Old Testament, but I'm also showing all disciples who would follow after a path of righteousness, and it involves what he receives at the water baptism. So I'm so glad John consented, because what we're about to see in this epic moment here, you and I can expect to receive in our own life as believers. Verse 16 says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love with him. I am well pleased. We're going to be unpacking what that meant for Jesus and what that means for everyone who follows Jesus. But before we talk more about that epic moment, I want to share a Kind of an incredible moment that I had earlier this week. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't see it coming, as often God moments are. So Mondays are a Sabbath. Cindy and I usually go on a date while the boys are at school. And uh, yet this past Monday, the twins are in fourth grade, and they, they both said, please, please come with us to go on our field trip. We're going to go clean a beach. All right. I'll just be honest with you. Uh, as much as I love spending time with my boys, my top of my list for my day off was not to go clean a beach. But I felt like it was important to do, especially because Cindy said, we're going to do this. I'm like, okay, right, let's go. So we show up there and Auntie is there and she starts telling the fourth graders and all the parents who were there all about the wonders of Limu. Now, you probably know a lot about Limu. 
I'll just be honest. Up to this point, even though I've lived for it for a while, the only thing I knew about Lima was I love it on my ahi poke. Right? Can I hear an amen in the house? Right? Um, and so, uh, she, but she tells me there's this whole world of Limu that I didn't have any awareness of. And, and she talks about the difference between native Limu and invasive Limu. Okay? You guys tracking with me? I go, what is that? Gorilla Ogo, which has just like this awesome evil name. That is the name given to one of the invasive Limu that was introduced to our underwater ecosystem many years ago. And what consequently it has done is it taken over our native Limu. In fact, if you go over to Kaneohe Bay, much of what has taken over Kebe has been this invasive Limu. And it's now working its way over and around our island. And you have to be just absolutely aggressive with it or it will take over everything. What's bad about it, it's not only killing off our native lima, but it's also covering over our coral and our reef system, not allowing it to receive the nutrients from the sun, which then affects what our fish are eating off of, which affects not only the ecosystem, but also our economy. And the whole time I'm going, what? What? I didn't have any idea this was going on. My kids are like, yeah, we knew this, Dad. Come on, we knew this. I'm like, oh my gosh. So what I'm about to share with you is, bear in mind, just a fourth grade level of understanding of marine biology and our, our ecosystem. So you probably know a whole lot more about this than I do. But once I found out about how evil that invasive lemu was, I'm like, let's get this sucker. Let's pull it out. And so our whole job was to get all of it off the beach. And being a guy, I made it a competition with, with my son uh, Jackson. And I'm like, okay. They're just going really slow. We got bags. Let's get more bags of invasive limu than anybody else in your class. And I'm holding it open, and he's stuffing it in, and he's stuffing it in. And I'm just, you know, just I just got to let you know, we won. <laughs> so we had like five bags, so there are two. Not that anyone else knew it was a competition, but we knew. We knew. And, uh, but that wasn't where it ended. Then Auntie, after we cleaned all the invasive limu, she's like, okay, now that we've gotten rid of the invasive limu, I'm going to teach you how to replant the native limu. I'm like, oh, really? So they brought us over and, and they began to teach us how to take these uh, ropes, to make these ropes, and to uh, weave in the native limu. And I've never, I've never seen this process before. And so we're weaving this in. And then she uh, sent us to go get coral rocks that were on the beach and then to wrap it around the rock and then she said, and the dads are going to take it into the water. And I'm like, the dads are going to what? <laughs> oh, I guess I'm getting wet today. All right. And so as I'm bringing these rocks, tons of them, piles of them in there, to that way the, the uh, uh, native limu can find its root again, um, I had this, this God moment. And it was like God, as I was walking out there, God was saying, hey, John, this is what I do. I remove the invasive lies that have convinced my people that this is normal and this is who they are. And have replaced it with the truth, weaving it into their life and tying it around the rock of my word. So that regardless of what comes, tide, storm, the lies, they won't receive it anymore. And they can find root and know who they are again. And I believe that that's exactly what God's about to do is we go over what it means to be a triple-A Christian, what it means to receive what Jesus received at his baptism, that we would pull off the invasive lies that have been there for so long some of us think they belong there and replace it with the weaved truth of God's word reminding you not only of who you are but how he sees you and your relationship 
with Him. To that end, each of us must understand that, first of all, we are anointed by the Holy Spirit. A triple-A Christian that follows Jesus Christ is anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus got baptized, He came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. And that was his anointing or his basically commissioning and empowering into his ministry. You understand that up to this point, Jesus had done no earthly ministry, no public ministry at all. And so at the moment of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he is now empowered for ministry. What does he do right after the baptism? He faces down the devil in the wilderness, the temptations. He goes to the wedding of Canaan, turns water into wine and miracle, miracle signs and wonders over and over again. It all started at what? The moment of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's the same for you and I. The same Holy Spirit in Jesus is the same Holy Spirit in all who follow Jesus. That same anointing is upon us. And if you're wondering what anointing is, I, this verse, it's not in your notes, but it's up here on the screen. 2 Corinthians one twenty one in the Amplified Translation explains it well. It says, now it is God who establishes and confirms us in joint fellowship with you in Christ. So God the Father... Jesus Christ, the Son, who has anointed us, empowering us with gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. There it is. You have the community of the Trinity working within the community of the saints to be empowered to reach the community and the world around us to accomplish the Great Commission. You see, we, we can't do it without the co. We can't do what it is that God's called us to do without the, the Trinity, the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We cannot do it without each other. And up to this point, if you wanted to make anything better in your life, you had to figure out how to do it on your own, right? By your own striving, by your own sheer determination and will, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's the only way that you're going to change anything in this world. And it works to some degree. But here's what it doesn't work on. Our besetting sense, our invasive lies, our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. No matter how hard we try, we just can't seem to change this. I can't seem to get rid of this addiction. I can't seem to get rid of this thought, destructive thought pattern. I just can't do it. So we assume it's just always going to be that way. I've got good news for you. It is always going to be that way if you try and do it by your own strength. But the Bible says, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God, says the Lord. In other words, what we could not overcome, we will now overcome through the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the good news. It's not just about behavior modification. A lot of people reduce Christianity to, I've got to think better, do better, walk better, talk better. Listen, that'll work for about maybe a couple days or a couple weeks. And then you and I, guess what we go back to? Our old sinful defaults. If it was just about behavior modification, you and I would have no hope. But it's not. It's about spiritual transformation. It's about changing things from the inside out instead of from the outside in. That's why it's so important. That's why Jesus said to the disciples, hey, before you go and change the world, you need to get changed by the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem, receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and then go out into the world, right? First things first. What's first determines what's next. And Jesus has said what's first for you and I and our breakthrough is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And what happens is the Holy Spirit, when we invite Him in, He comes in and begins to remove all that invasive limu, all those lies that have been there for so long and have destroyed the ecosystem of our soul. And then He replants the native truth of God's Word back in us. 
Give me an example of what that looks like. I got, I got an uh, email from a sister at a church. She gave me permission to share it with you. She said, she wrote me, uh, what you share is more than a timely message. It's a confirmation for me. I suffered from hoarding behavior for the past 15 years. That's that compulsion to hold on to things. Last week, I experienced God's grace. Listen to this. As he separated my identity as a hoarder from my identity in Christ. What's going on there? Just like the, the auntie that taught me the difference between invasive limu and native limu. When we invite in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he teaches us the difference between the lies that sounded like truth and the truth that sets us free. I now see the clutter in my home for what it is instead of who I am. It's as if the Lord said to my heart, hey, you're, you're not a hoarder. You just need to clean up. It's what you've done, but it's not who you are. Although there is physically much more to remove from my home, I can now spiritually stand strong in the space of my spirit. What is that? That's her walking into the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that empowerment for living, because the Lord helped me to trust Him, and here's the key word, in surrendering the whole space to Him. God is good, and He has given me encouragement and hope through this message. Thank you, Jesus. But maybe hoarding is not your thing, but all of us got it. We got hurts, habits, and hangups, and we've been looking at the invasive lies as if they're truth. We've been looking at our past sins as if that's always going to how it's going to be. I got good news for you. God's ripping that stuff out and replacing it with the life-giving truth that you can overcome that which would try to overcome you. You're not a victim. You're victorious, and He has called you to live the victorious lifestyle. And sometimes we just need others to do it with. And so I'd love to be able to invite you to a ministry we started called Celebrate Recovery. On Tuesdays across the street at the Acoustic Cafe at 6.30, this is a bunch of people who said, enough is enough. I'm done trying to do this on my own. Sometimes we just need somebody to show us the difference between what's supposed to be there and what's not supposed to be there anymore. We've been looking at it for so long, we think it's normal. And the Lord is saying, no, 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 I don't want defeat to be your norm. I want victory to be your norm. And sometimes we just need to do it in the context of others. So I would like to invite you to come and check that out or, or talk with somebody who maybe isn't here that you know just feels stuck or lost or like they cannot overcome because through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you and I will be overcomers. And that's a big part of what Jesus is modeling for us. And the second thing is that you and I are approved by the Father. First, we are anointed by the Holy Spirit, empowerment for living. Secondly, we are approved by the Father. When Jesus came up out of the water, He was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and then the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my Son, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Our modern-day vernacular would be, Hey, that's my boy right there. That's my, that's my boy. Wait, hey, stop what you're doing. Because nothing that you're doing is remotely as interesting and important as my son. Look at him. He's amazing. And that's how your father actually feels about you. Have you ever thought about that? Did you ever know that? The interesting thing about the timing of his father's proclamation of how proud he was of his son is Jesus, up to that point, had done exactly zero miracles. Nothing. He hadn't multiplied any loaves and fish. He hadn't healed anybody, cast any demons out, resurrected Lazarus. Nothing. So what's the father proud of him about? 
The father's proud of him because he belongs to him. It's his. It's his son. It's not about what he does. It's about who he is. And it's so hard in our results-oriented culture to grapple with or receive a love that we have not earned. Because in our results-oriented culture, if you want acceptance, you want approval, you want promotion, or you want affection, you've got to earn it. Right? Isn't that, I mean, that's real life, right? That's real life. Maybe that was real life for you growing up. Maybe that's, that's real life for you in, in your home or, or in your workplace. If you want anybody to even notice that you're alive, you better earn the right to be noticed. And yet it's in the middle of that reality of this fallen world that our God speaks this beautiful, rare, unconditional, I love you. That grabs a hold of our heart if we'll let it and never lets go. And in this room, or watching online right now, he would look you in the eyes and say, Son and daughter, I'm so proud of you. And our immediate reaction is going, No, 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 no. Yes. Maybe the people around me, but he can't. Mm-mm. No, no, no. He can't, he can't be proud of me. I know, I know what I did. Oh, gosh, I know what I even said on the car ride over here. I know what I'm even fighting in my head right now. He, he's not proud of me. But what if, what if he is? What if he's saying to you right now, you're here, aren't you? You're here. You could literally be anywhere else as the rest of our island is. But you're here. Why are you here? Because you're seeking God. And he's looking at you and saying, I'm proud of you for being here. I'm proud of you for seeking me, for putting me in a place of priority in your day. Can you receive that right now? Because the moment that I say your father's proud of you, here's the other lie that comes up, and I just want to rip it out from its roots and burn it up. I say the father's proud of you, and you think, no, 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 I've let God down. He can't be proud of me. I've let him down too many times. And here's what your father says. You can't let me down because you were never holding me up in the first place. You can't let someone down that you can't hold up. In fact, he's the one that holds us up and then looks us in the eyes and says, I'll never let you down. No matter how many times you fail or fall, I will never let you go. And you receive that right now. That's the power of the approval of the Father. Reminds me of the story that I uh, came across recently, a true story of a man who used to run the uh, Intercontinental Railroad uh, on the mainland, and, and it was a man of wealth and power, means, and influence. And he was looking through a book on, on uh, natural history and it had all kinds of pictures of animals in it. And his cute little three-year-old daughter toddled over with the pigtails. And she was looking up at her daddy. And her daddy, you know, just scooped her up and put her on his lap and, and started flipping through the pictures together. And, and, and her face lit up as she saw, started seeing the pictures of the animals. So he pointed at a picture of a zebra and said, hey, baby, what's that? And she goes, horsey. He goes, oh, she's smart. Okay, goes to another one. It was a picture of a tiger. Hey, baby, what's that? 
doggy. Well, I mean, you know, four legs, close enough, you know. Um, every parent's pretty sure that their kids are the smartest ones out of anybody else their age, right? So he goes to the next one, and it's a lion. He says, okay, baby, what's that? Kitty. Oh, my girl, she's so smart. Oh my gosh, she's going to go places. Flips to the next picture, a picture of a chimpanzee. Okay, baby, what's that? Daddy. Now, I don't know what happened at the end of that story, but here's what I know didn't happen. That dad of means and wealth and power and authority did not take his baby girl and banish her from his presence saying, you will never talk to me again until you get who I am right. You called me a monkey, right? I, I guarantee he didn't do that. I don't know what he did, but I'm picturing he probably laughed. He probably said, oh, you're right, baby. I do like, you know, bananas. I don't know what he said. But I know that she wasn't banished from the Father's presence, and I know that you aren't either. That your Father, even if you've been seeing Him wrong up to this moment, is scooping you up, and putting you on His lap, and opening His book, and saying, let's keep looking at this till you see me the way I see you my beloved that's the approval of the father that's what every one of us can receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit proved of the father and authorized by Jesus the son now we you could fill that in your third blank authorized by Jesus we talked a lot um, last week about what it means to walk in the authority of Jesus. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on that today. If you missed that message, you can catch it on our YouTube channel. But to be authorized by Jesus means to represent His name everywhere that we go. For instance, your name and my name, uh, can it save anybody? No, no. If someone calls out our name, it's not going to save them. someone calls on the name of Jesus, they shall be saved. And we get the authority to represent their way to salvation. Your name and my name aren't going to send any demons fleeing. But we get the authority by the name of Jesus to tell the devil he's got to go. Your name and my name aren't going to save a marriage or heal a physical ailment. But we get the authority of the name of Jesus that when we walk to a person who is sick or we walk to a relationship where they are broken in pieces, not by our own authority, but by the authority of Jesus, we can now speak over that situation and see God do what we could not do on our own. And that's what it means to be authorized by Jesus. That you and I can walk in that name. What an honor, right? What a privilege to be able to represent that name. Each of us have been called to that. And if you're wondering what that looks like, we can kind of see a picture of that in John chapter 20. It's after the resurrection. Jesus conquered sin and death and hell. He's revealed himself over the course of 40 days to over 500 people that he's alive. And are his disciples kicking down the gates of hell? No, his disciples are shivering and hiding for fear behind a locked door certain that the same ones that arrested and crucified Jesus are after them next. And it's into this situation, Jesus literally walks through the door. He says, peace, peace on you guys. In verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is like the pre-Great Commission, Great Commission. You see that? You see the similarities there? He said, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. What's that? That's the approval of the Father. I am sending you. That's the authority of Jesus. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Triple A Christianity right within those two verses right there. Boom. Jesus was giving them a heads up. Hey, you guys, I, I know you're afraid and you think that, that it's all done, but oh no, no, it's just beginning. You're, you're about to go and change the world. He's looking at a bunch of scared guys that left him high and dry, literally, while he was going through the worst of it for us. They all abandoned him. And that's the group of people he's given authority to represent his name. Listen, I don't know what it is that you and I have done to discount ourselves by being, by being used by Jesus, but if God could use these guys to turn the world upside down, we're in pretty good company. God's looking you in the eyes just like he is with us. And, and he's saying, hey, you've got the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You've got the approval of the Father, and you, now you've got the authority of Jesus. Go out there. Change the world. How do we do it? Well, catch this next verse. Verse 23 says, If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's interesting. Do you think there might be a connection between walking in the authority of Jesus and walking in forgiveness? Hmm. I think there might be. I think this might be where we might be missing it a lot of the time. Now, some traditions have taken this verse out of context to mean that you and I now have the authority to absolve people of their sins as if you could come and confess to me your sins and I can forgive you instead of you going to Jesus. Listen, I'm not Jesus. I'll agree with you and pray with you, but the only one who can forgive your sins is Jesus. If you read the context of this in the context of Scripture, what Jesus is saying here is you now have the authority to represent the terms of forgiveness. You get to tell people how to find it. Now go do it. Let me give you an example of our modern-day setting. You have a bank with all of the money. You have a loan officer. You have you that wants to buy a house. You don't have any money, so you meet with a loan officer in order to get the money from the bank. Does the loan officer have the money? No. The loan officer represents the terms of the agreement according to the one with all the money, which is the bank. And they represent the terms of that agreement to you, the one that wants to buy the house. So they come in, you sit down at the table, and they present you with a stack of papers about this high and say, hey, we're so excited. You're going to buy a house and be in debt up to your eyeballs. It's so amazing. You'll sign here and here and here. Oh, and there and here and here. And, oh, and right there. And don't forget your little initial right there. And keep signing. And by the time you're done signing, you're like, what have I done? Well, you've literally signed your life away. Congratulations. You get a house. Now, that loan officer has done what? They have presented the terms of the agreement for you to get the money to now be in debt forever, right? That's what they have done. Do they have the money themselves? No, no, no. Just like you and I do not have the right or the privilege of being able to absolve anybody of their, their forgiveness, they are representing the bank that has all the money to give you that you will be paying off for the rest of your life. That is how it works. In this scenario, you and I... As believers, authorized by Jesus Christ, are the loan officers. And we get to go and present the terms of the agreement to anybody and everybody who will sit down with us. But here's the good news. We're not telling people how to get into debt. We're telling them how to get out of debt. That our God has bankrupted heaven. 
to let everybody know that debt of sin that you've been living with your entire life, if you will sign on the dotted line, he will sign his name on your heart, you are free. And he's going to take everything that he accomplished through his sacrifice and he's going to give it to you. Not only are you now no longer in debt, he has filled up your bank account and it will never run out with endless amounts of forgiveness, eternal security, the anointing of the spirit, the approval of the father. I mean, who wouldn't want to sign that doc, right? How amazing would that be? And that's our job. That's our privilege. We get to go around telling everybody, here's how you can find forgiveness. Here's the term. Let me share with you my own story of how I came to God and I was up to my eyeballs in the debt of sin and he met with me, saved me, and now I'm rich in forgiveness. And I'm like, you know, forgiveness for you. I'm like Oprah. Forgiveness for you and forgiveness for you. Everyone gets forgiveness. And and it's true because we'll never run out. But here's the thing. If we've been authorized by Jesus to present forgiveness, but we don't actually forgive, How well are we walking in that authority? It would kind of be like in that loan officer example. The loan officer said, yeah, you can sign these documents, but I don't think they're going to pay you. I know I wouldn't. How many of you guys would be happy to say, oh, that sounds great. That's a wonderful deal. None of us us would sign those docs. And so I just feel like sometimes the world is standing back, scratching their head, looking at the church as a whole, going, "Um, there's something I'm not getting because... you said that your God forgives, but why are you so mean? Why are you so angry? Why is it that every time we talk, you bring up all the stuff that I did in the past? I, I thought your God forgives. You see, if we have the authority to forgive, but we don't actually exercise forgiveness, we're a loan officer that's abdicating his authority. And we're confusing a world that needs to know how to be free of the debt of sin. Let me close with one more Limu illustration. So, after we wrapped the, the limu and the coral, we went over to talk with Uncle Wally. And the fourth graders listen to Uncle Wally. Uncle Wally holds up a picture of what Eva Beach used to look like in the 70s, covered with native limu. And then he holds up a picture of what it looks like now with nothing, no native limu at all. And then he begins to talk to us about the importance of all these limus. Did you guys know? You probably already did. This was news to me. Over 300 types of native limu. I'm just like, that's, that's crazy. And he begins to have us taste the limu, like different, different types of limu. And it's all sitting there. He's telling us the stories and what they mean according to Hawaiian culture. I'm just like, this is, this is amazing. And then he holds up the limu kala. And, and, uh, and he says, you're not going to want to eat this one because it's bitter. But it's a very important part of our Hawaiian culture in the Ho'oponopono reconciliation process. To make right or to make our relationships good, we would use the limu kala. Now, kala actually means to forgive, to free, to loosen. And, and he says what would happen is they would get together. Let's say you had pilikia or problems with another family or a friend. You would sit together in a circle and you would grab some limu kala and you would, you would uh, break off a piece and you would hand it to the person you had something against. And they would break off a piece and hand it to you. Now remember, it's bitter. And it represents as they are, you're, you're receiving their bitterness, they're receiving your bitterness, you're ingesting it, you're getting rid of that bitterness. And after that limukala ceremony, they would be done and they would move forward as if nothing was wrong at all. 
Now, I, I was blown away because I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This sounds like, this sounds scriptural. This sounds like the fingerprints of God within the Hawaiian culture. But Uncle Wally wasn't done yet. He said, and I heard uncles tell me the story, Kalapana on Big Island, about how they would use the limu kala and make the leipo'o and put it upon their head. Remember, it represents bitterness. So you know how our heads get just filled with bitterness and unforgiveness towards a person? He would say when it was really bad between them, they would take the lei, they would make it out of this, this bitter limu, and they would walk together into the ocean. And they would keep walking into the ocean until the water went above their heads, and the leipo'o would begin to float off into the tide, representing all of their problems, all of their frustrations, all of their bitterness, all of their divisions. And they would turn around and walk out of the water as if all of that was behind them and they could move forward in forgiveness and freedom. And I'm just like, listen, I'm getting like chicken skin. I'm taking notes. I'm like, that's what we celebrate in water baptism. We go into the water with all of our bitterness and our unforgiveness and we come out of the water and we are free. And, and I, I'm just like blown away like, oh my gosh, God, this is amazing. Your fingerprints are all over this. And then, but Uncle Wally wasn't even done yet. This was his drop the mic moment. And he was like, do you know where Limukala is found? And I'm like, where? Where is it found? I think I was more excited than any of the fourth graders around there. Where is it found? Uncle Wally, just help me. Where is it found? And he, he says this. He says, it's found in the roughest waters. And I'm like, Whew. forgiveness is found in the roughest waters. Where do we need forgiveness and freedom the most? It's in the rough waters of our relationships. You got still waters, you're happy with them. You got rough waters, you want to avoid them. Maybe you even want to drown them. And the Lord is saying, no, 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 no. What you need to know is that it's in the roughest waters you're going to find the power of forgiveness. Let me tell you, forgiveness is not weak or wimpy. It is strength. You walk in forgiveness. You walk in the power of what Jesus has authorized you to do. It's not letting someone step all over you. It's inviting Jesus to step into that situation and that relationship. And I believe that that's exactly what God wants to do right now. In fact, I feel like if we could get this one piece right here, that we would see ourselves walking in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and the approval of the Father, and the authority of Jesus as never before. But you and I have to choose. Will we abdicate our authority because we don't want to forgive? Or as those who've been forgiven, will we also extend that forgiveness, whether they ever own their part, whether they ever walk into the, the waters with us or not? Can you and I be the first to extend forgiveness? I'm waiting until they, they say they're sorry. Yeah, but, but Jesus didn't wait for us, did he? While we were yet sinners, he died for us. And so maybe it's our job as those who've been anointed of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome and break the bondage of division in our lives. Maybe it's up to us who now know that we are loved by the Father. We don't have to be insecure anymore. Even if people don't like us or don't respond well to us, that, that's not on us. Our job is to walk in the forgiveness of Jesus by the authority of his name and extend that to those who may or may not ever 
extend that back to us. But it's okay because we've been forgiven. We will forgive. Let's pray. Right now, you're thinking of that person as you bow your heads and close your eyes or those people in your life with whom you have rough waters. That when you see them, it it churns your heart. Right now, I want you to bring that person or those people before the Lord and forgive them. It doesn't make what they did okay. It's just simply about putting them in the best place possible, which is in the hands of the Savior. You can picture them right now. And what I want you to do is I want you to say, in the name of Jesus, I forgive, and then say their name. If they're sitting next to you, maybe just keep that to yourself. Uh, it could be a little awkward, but just bring, bring that to the Lord. Bring that to the Lord right now. In the name of Jesus, I forgive, and go ahead and say their names. And we do that right now, God, because you have forgiven us. God, and we thank you for your place in our lives. We thank you, God, for the fact that we didn't earn this forgiveness, but you gave it freely to us. We don't understand this forgiveness, but we receive it. And now we extend it, God, to those in our lives. Even right now as we do that, God, there is a lifting of this burden off of our shoulders and in that place that there would be a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit upon your people in this place. At the approval of the Father, God, we receive from you. But we are loved by you, not because we can earn it, but simply because you chose us and called us by name. And it's in this place, God, that we receive and now extend through the authority of Jesus forgiveness to everyone that we come across. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, can we stand together and celebrate the forgiven life? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and we'd love to hear what you think. You can also watch us on YouTube, download our app or check out our website.